At the end of my homily, we'll have a nice opportunity to have the parish council members. We've got new parish council members to come up, and we'll do a blessing. I'm saying that to remind myself, so I don't forget. As I said at the beginning of Mass, I'm very happy to be here today with you. I'm Father Dave Tedeschi, and I am in residence with Father John. I actually live at St. Mary's, but I'm a chaplain at the hospitals. And uh, there's great need for ministry in the hospitals because there are so many Lazaruses there, especially people who are nearing the last moments of their life. So it's a great ministry need to be able to, to exercise, but I'm glad to be here with you today to say Mass with you. In our Gospel, we see a kind of blindness that the rich man is inflicted with. He can't see. He can't see Lazarus, who's at his very doorstep. He's inside his house. He sees everything that's going on in there. He's got business outside. And he walks outside to do business. And he walks right past Lazarus. He can't see Lazarus. He doesn't notice him. And we see the same theme in our first reading from the prophet. Pictures people who are very comfortable and very wealthy and very distracted and they don't realize the bad things that are going on with their nation. So we see that theme continued in our first reading and in our gospel. As I read this, I wonder about us as Americans, as as America, our nation in general. I wonder if we are the the rich man who doesn't notice the Lazarus who's right on his doorstep, just outside. You know, we, we focus a lot on internal things that are going on in our country. Of course, you got to do that. But has all of that preoccupation and then our business preoccupations with other countries blinded us to the Lazarus who's right at our doorstep? And I would suggest to you today, I want to make you aware of it, you've probably heard of them, probably some of you have heard of them, but right now there is, I think, probably one of the most prominent Lazaruses in the world are the Uyghur people in China. And some of you maybe have never even heard of them. But currently, right now, as we speak, genocide is being perpetrated against this people group. Genocide. The Chinese Communist Party is trying to eliminate this people group. Over the past five years, it's been estimated that one million Uyghurs have been detained in re-education camps. Okay? They're a Muslim religious minority. And so the ostensible reason for their imprisonment is terrorist concerns. 
but it's a it's a pretext. There's no nothing grounded in anyone's concerns with terrorism. It's that the CCP, the Communist Chinese Party, wants to suppress them and make their entire culture, the Chinese culture, perfectly uniform, so that any kind of difference is eliminated. So here's a real story of just one Uyghur, and I can only give you highlights. She testified before the United States Congress in 2018. And this is her story, and she's one of a million people that this is happening to. And I can only give you just the slightest details from her life story. Her name is Marigold. She was targeted because she studied in Egypt. And at that time, around 2012 or so, when she was a student in Egypt, there was the Arab Spring and there was these different revolutions that were taking place. And when she came back to China, she was immediately arrested. She had married in Egypt and had three, she actually had triplets. It's pretty remarkable. So she had three babies, all at once, triplets. And it was hard for her to take care of her triplets with her Egyptian husband. She needed help from her family because he was very busy with business and whatnot. So she flew back to China. She was arrested immediately. She was placed in what they call a tiger chair, which has straps around your wrists, straps around your ankles, and around your throat. And the people who interrogate you can tighten up the straps whenever they want. She was interrogated for 48 hours with no sleep. Her interrogators themselves got very tired of this, so they would rotate every three hours with a new crew in there. And they would just ask her the same questions over and over. And eventually they got exhausted as well and would just stare at her menacingly. Then she was thrown into solitary confinement for seven days. She was having hallucinations of her children. She was separating from her children, of course, and was very worried about her three babies. Then she was brought to this re-education camp and thrown into a cell with about three or four dozen other women. And the space was so cramped that they couldn't lie down and sleep. They had to take shifts, so some stood and some slept, and they did two-hour shifts. They were given one bucket to relieve themselves in once a day, and they were let out for like an hour. And when they were let out, they were marched around, and they were made to recite slogans, like, the Chinese Communist Party gives me new life. And she was in this situation for three months, but eventually let her go because her ch- one of her children died in a hospital because of neglect. And they said, okay, let her take care of her kids. She got her kids and she went back to her hometown, which had been turned into a surveillance state with cameras everywhere. And even in her house, there would be vans with very high-powered microphones that can hear into your house. Vans parked outside her house. 
At one point, she wanted to talk to her mother because of all the trauma that she had been through. And her mother ignored her. And all her family was completely silent towards her because they knew that they were being watched and listened every moment of their life. China, over the past five years, has employed one million house spies. They're called becoming family members. These are state-sponsored people, police, essentially, who live with the Uyghurs. They move into their houses, and the Uyghurs have to feed them and they sleep with them and they record hour by hour everything that the Uyghurs in their family lives are doing and then report it back to the authorities. They take biometric scans and data from all the Uyghurs, retina scans, fingerprints, DNA, blood samples, voice recordings, facial recognition, all this computerized artificial intelligence stuff so that they can put these people under constant surveillance. She was arrested two more times over the course of the next two years. Okay, it's getting longer, but the details of her life are, are unspeakable. She was, in her second arrest, she was tortured for seven days and electrocuted. Electrocutions were part of the torture for seven days straight. And she prayed to God that he would take her life because it was so horrendous what she was going through. In the second time of her re-education camp experience, she started to experience seizures and loss of consciousness. So they sent her to an insane asylum. And there... They wanted to give her pills. She was supposed to take pills three times a day. She didn't know what they were for. But by God's grace, one doctor had mercy on her and said, don't take the pills. The pills were to erase her mind, to erase her memory, so that she couldn't even speak against what the government was doing. But she put the pills in her mouth and then later spit them out. And then she was sent home with a band on her wrist that said, dangerous criminal, loss of memory. She had her memory intact because she hadn't taken the pills. She was arrested a third time after that and told that she was going to be executed. She could choose three means of execution, being shot, being hung, or being killed by lethal injection. If she chose to be shot, her family would have had to pay extraordinary rates for each bullet that was used. She didn't choose. She said, enough of this, you guys choose. By what can only be explained as divine intervention, there were some difficulties about her children and their citizenship. Because they were born in Egypt, the Egyptian government got involved with her situation and her life was spared and she was able to fly back to Egypt and then she escaped to the United States. 
In 2018, she testified before Congress. She is one of a million people that are going through this horrendous uh, experience. And so we ask ourselves, we as wealthy Americans, are we aware of the Lazarus that's right at our doorstep? And we talk about wealth and how it blinds us. Probably some of you are familiar with the basketball player Ennis Cantor. He's a big NBR, NBA star. He played for the, uh, I don't know, maybe the Lakers or something, I don't know. Sorry, I don't know basketball that well. But he would wear custom-made shoes to draw people's attention to these issues. And one of the custom-made shoes that he made were Nikes, and they had a blood-red, you know, paint on the side. Slave labor. And so that's the, the other thing that I have to tell you about, is that our companies, so the other thing that's per being perpetrated against the leaders is that they're being forced to make shoes, to produce cotton, so forth and so on. They're slave labor. And we purchase and do business with these companies. And Nike, along with many other shoe companies, is one of these places. And so that's what Ennis Cantor was doing. Ennis Cantor didn't get invited back to the NBA. From what I understand, he's teamless right now. He got traded, alright, to the Rockets or something. And as soon as the Rockets took him, they said, oh, this guy can hop the table. And they let him go. He's a very talented basketball player from what I understand. They let him go. The NBA and Nike and all of these other big, powerful, rich entities can't speak against China because billions of dollars are being done in business with China. And so if they insult China and they speak up for the truth, they lose their money. And I saw an interview with Ennis Cantor recently and he said this. He said, all the gold medals in the world are not more important than your morals, your values, and your principles. So I encourage you, my brothers and sisters, to be aware of these issues and these things. Look into these people. Look into the Uyghurs. Read a little bit about Ennis Cantor, you know, for the young people who are interested in basketball. Look at Ennis Cantor. Start to study what he's about and you'll get a very good doorway into all of these issues. Now, from what I am told and from what I understand, the Blessed Sacrament has a very wonderful and beautiful um, ministry to the poor. Uh, it's the Supper Program. And that's a way that you are already vigilant about the Lazarus that is at your door, at my door, at our doors. And we're going to have the, in just a moment here, we'll have the parish council members come forward. And they're responsible for directing many of the ministries here in, their, in this parish. So they're connected as well to that supper program. So I commend all of you for that program, for being aware of the Lazarus at your door. And I encourage you to redouble your efforts, your awareness, 
your consciousness, the energy, and the time, and the thought that you put into the Lazarus who is at your door so that our wealth as Americans doesn't blind us to our neighbor. So we'll have the, got a little prayer here for the parish council people. Let's have them come forward.